When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm your host, Spencer Toon. I'm Keith McGuffey. And I'm Mike Templeton. And this week we have lined up for you to talk about Michelangelo number one from the original mm-hmm. Mirage Comics, volume one. Uh, the so Christmas kind of, Aliens. Yep, the Christmas Aliens. It's a Christmas yeah. episode. That's right. Everything lined up perfectly. I mean, we kind of had to make it work, <laughs> but it lined up to have a Christmas But we did story. it for you guys. Yeah. For you, the listeners, especially the ones listening in the middle of July. You Isn't know, it wild that like, the road. this is like the ninth issue and it's like they're already on their Christmas special, technically? Yeah. Well, yeah, and this then actually, this came up before issue six. Oh, did it? Five, and then they did the Michelangelo and the Donatello. Seven. So this is actually issue like what six or seven that they put out. It's even earlier than that. They're doing. Yeah, I thought I thought Splinter was in this one, but he actually does not make an appearance in it at all. And so you could technically put this one before Turtles in Space if you wanted to. But my no prize is just like he's in the other room napping yeah. or meditating he's an old <laughs> ninja master you know yeah kind of kind of doing his splinter rat thing yep yeah but yeah released in december 1985 i was four months old <laughs> wow so i definitely didn't read it the first time around <laughs> i mean i was not even alive not even <laughs> born yet. yeah it would be like a decade and two years until i was born <laughs> You're so damn young. <laughs> I, know. I know. I know. I know. I'm I'm a child. It's okay. It's okay. Let us tell you about turtles. <laughs> the turtles of yore. Weave us a yarn. I'll weave you a yarn. Spin us a yarn, right? Is that well, spin the night it, I think before. it's spin a yarn. Okay. It was spin the night before Christmas and all through the sewer. I was trying to. F- Find something around with Sue. Okay, that's thought, what I was trying to do too. I, I thought I could kill the entire movie, and I was just like, <laughs> "Yeah, pewter." I don't know. We could not have. <laughs> we could not find a heart more pure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> than yeah. that of our protagonist, Michelangelo, as he walks in the streets of. Man, I walked back myself yeah. into a corner there, painted myself into a corner. <laughs> yeah. All right, let, let's get on with right, we're the clearly, story. We're clearly not lyricists here. <laughs> Sometimes. I play the drums for a reason. <laughs> Sometimes I'm on fire, but tonight is not one of those nights. Well, you know what I do when I can't think of a rhyme? Personally speaking, it's ending time. It's a little coming out of our shells. Yeah. Humor. All right. The Ancient One did tell me a story I think you guys would want to hear. 
about Master Splinter's master, Hamato Yoshi. Well, let's hear it. So this story was written by Eastman and Laird, just like all the other ones previously, and are illustrated by him. And it's the first ever appearance of Clunk, the cat. Yeah. The cats. My one of my favorite characters. And so our story starts with Michelangelo going for a walk in New York City, all alone because no one else wanted to join him because who wants to be outside when it's cold? But Michelangelo loves it because he is able to bundle up and kind of like wrap a scarf around his face, be nice and disguised and get to be out among the folk. And so as he's walking by, there's some kids sledding and they let him borrow their sled to go down the hill once and he takes it off a jump and they think it's real cool. And he has some fun doing that. He gives them their sled back and then he goes into an alley. He finds a stray cat named Clunk who's freezing. So he, you know, being the kind soul that he is, lets the cat be in his coat and warms him. Uh, he then, as he's walking along, runs into a toy store. And he ends up having a lot of fun playing with the toys there with Clunk. And then he accidentally scares Clunk with the toys and he runs into the back room and he goes to go get him when he runs into some thugs stealing a truck full of the little orphan aliens that are being donated to an orphanage. And these little orphan aliens are the hottest toy item of that year. Uh, they're supposed to kind of be uh, like the Cabbage Patch Kids were at this time. At the time, Real this was Tickle Meat Elmo kind of vibe. Yeah. So, of course, Mikey cannot let them just uh, steal all these from these orphans. And so he goes to try and, and chase them down. And they start peeling out. And, and they take off in the truck full of these dolls. And Mikey grabs onto an extension cord on the outside. And he's hanging, swinging, and they're shooting back at him. And he finds his way from the cord inside the truck. So after he disappears, the thugs are like, all right, what happened? Go check and make sure that he's gone at this next stoplight. So they hit the next stoplight. They stop. The two guys go to the back. They peek inside the doors and Mikey surprise attacks them. Uh, after he surprise attacks them and beats them up, the guy that's still in the truck is like, oh shoot, I better get out of here. So then he stomps on the gas, takes off. Uh, Michelangelo grabs onto the bumper, but you know, slips off. He then takes a shortcut through an alley to cut him off and jumps onto the truck and then jumps and smashes through the cab and eventually gets the guy out of the cab and throws him out and takes the truck. Now Michelangelo is driving this hot truck filled with hot toy items and the cops are now after him because they of course are trying to stop this robbery from happening. And so as he's running from the cops, uh, he ends up breaking through a barrier they've set up to stop him. He busts through the barrier, uh, is able to hide with the will hide the truck in an alley and get out and lose the cops. And they, of course, don't know where the truck is. And so he can't decide what to do because if he leaves the toys, if he leaves the toys with the cops, they're going to get impounded as evidence and the orphans aren't going to get their Christmas. And so he thinks that the best option is going to be to just deliver the toys to the orphanage himself. So he goes back and he gets some help from his brothers in April. And so they go and they get the toys unloaded out of the truck into April's van and dressed up as Santa and elves 
they are able to deliver the toys to the orphans. The end. Now, do you think they, uh, do you think April had those elf costumes laying around or did they have to steal those before they, <laughs> before they took the truck back? <laughs> I, be, I bet they found them in the back of the truck. Like they were there for whoever was originally intended to deliver the gifts, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good no prize answer. I like it. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, for convenience. Mm-hmm. Let's head into the second time around. Hey, nice junk. So, I don't know if you guys noticed the little Easter egg of the name Chet popping up again. I did. I did, right there, yes. Uh, the clerk at the store. Yeah. The clerk at the store says name Chet? Uh, well, it says Chet's Toys. Oh, Chet's Toys. Okay, yeah. On the, uh, on the apron. Yeah, okay. Just uh, for a second, there, I thought maybe the clerk had a name tag. Because there's a second Chet besides Chet's Toys. And the orphanage, I only noticed it because I read the commentary uh, on the issue in the Ultimate Collection. Mm. But in the very final picture, there is pictures hanging on the wall in the orphanage. And one of them is like our founder, Chet Brown. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. A little tiny right, right. Right up there in the corner. <laughs> right in the top corner, yeah. I like that. So, yeah, it's just funny, funny little Chet thing again. I, you know, I get a kick out of it now that I just know that it was like just knowing that it was an inside joke. I don't even know what it was. I don't get it, but I love hunting it down. And I think it's funny that they just squeeze it in random spots. Did you also notice when he's in the toy store, uh, some of the masks that are on in the aisles, there's a, a stormtrooper. Uh, storm um, I noticed. Yeah. I noticed Fugitoid's head right there on the shelf next to the stormtrooper. Yeah. I there's a daredevil mask and then under that is a megaton man who's another like indie comic character yeah i had no idea who that was and then he has like a it's not 100 percent, but it looks like a my little monster or my my pet monster um when he's when he's holding like the toy monster next to clunk okay and he's like oh, i'll get you you little kitty <laughs> i don't know that one you ever seen that you ever seen that toy in from the 80s no, no. What's it, it called? Is, my Little Monster? Uh, it's like My Little Monster or My Pet Monster. I think it's My Little Monster. But it's like super cool looking. Um, Are you talking about that weird movie with like the blue monster that's under that kid's bed? No, 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 no. It's not. <laughs> it was that. always on TV. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, God. Because then they were, they were just making like a new version of it too. And like, I was like, oh, that's really cool. So one of the things I like about this podcast is that I've been able to go back through my short box of Ninja Trolls comics and like read through the fan mail that was coming in at the time and like mm. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird's messages to the to folks reading the the book. Um, mm-hmm. This one they talk about how some slime puppy is dockering third prints of number one to look like first prints of number one. Huh. And they mentioned that at the time, a first print went from anywhere between thirty-five and hundred and fifty dollars. Holy cow! Yeah, that's a lot of money in the eighties. But man, it's a quick return too. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, usually it takes. I feel like issues a little bit longer to be worth that much money mm-hmm. than just yeah. like four years. I guess it was even less than that because you said it was eighty-five. So just it was just a year. Just a year. Yeah. yeah. They also, but I mean, that's a true testament to how how insanely popular Turtles was. Like right yeah. off the bat as a comic book like because still 87 hasn't happened yeah. like mm-hmm. the cartoon does not exist it's it's so popular even that they're getting fan mail from europe and malaysia in this in this issue wow 
that's also wild that like this little indie comic got so so like internationally popular yeah it's crazy um we also get our first fan art in in this issue uh some guy drew a picture of Raphael at the prom so just like Raphael, like in a tuxedo with like a sigh in his cummerbund. Nice. <laughs> See, none of that's in the color classics version that I that I read. So yeah, yeah no, those letters are cool. I also um, this is the second time around, and I had this. I had the second printing of this book, which is. I'm sorry, my cat's yelling at me. Book. Your cat clunk. Yeah, my cat clunk. Uh, I have the second printing, which is a printing that came out five years after the first printing. It's quite the gap between the two but it's actually called michelangelo christmas special it's not called michelangelo number one and i just want to i'm going to hold this up to the camera for you guys look how evil clunk looks in this thing oh wow oh yeah yeah. so that's his that's his default picture on turtlepedia oh is it yeah and it's like poor representation of that poor creature (laughs) i had it sitting on my desk and my wife walked in she's like what is that thing holding (laughs) do you know do you know who the original art is by it's jim lawson it is Lawson. Okay. It is Lawson. Yep. And actually, uh, in this reprint, Jim Lawson also provides a backup story called A Christmas Carol. And it's weirdly, despite being Michelangelo's Christmas special, it's Raphael doing Charles Dickens' Christmas story. It's, uh, it's kind of neat, though. It's, it, you know, he goes through the three ghosts. The third ghost, instead of showing him his grave, mm-hmm. actually shows Raphael in the future in a swamp. He's kind of just like lost his mind. He's going crazy, like just snarling at people and stuff. But he's got an eye patch. And like, it's weird how often Raphael loses an eye across continuities. Like he did it in the future in 2003 series. He did it in the future of the Archie series. In the Image series, he loses an eye. And here we've got him losing an eye again. I think it was definitely supposed to be in the cards for where they wanted Turtles to be for The Last Ronin. I think I, I really think they did. Want you think that. they came up with the last one this early? Uh, they yeah, it was pretty early that they did. They they wrote the script. I can't remember when it was, but it was still in the fairly early days of Ninja Turtles. And not the script, but when they came up with these yeah the, the concept that that Tom Waltz and Eastman have taken mm-hmm. uh, and and adjusted. But at the same time, I don't even know who originally the last turtle was supposed to be, but. They, I, I know that they said that they had the idea of the last Ronin and they kind of wanted their characters to move in that direction initially. So it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if that idea of Raph having an eye patch was part of that plan because, oh yeah, because that's what it was in the ultimate collection in the final, not the final book, but the second, the penultimate book, because the final one is just covers. But there's a short comic, um, it was supposed to be promoting Puma Blues. Uh, supposed to be supporting it because there was all sorts of uh, issues going on with that book. And so it was in support of that. But you see a Raphael with an eye patch in the future with a hat on. And he like saves a flying manta ray from a hunter. Anyway, it's, it's kind of like a short, okay. wordless story. And in the I commentary. pictures of that. Yeah. In the commentary, they talked about having this idea of the older turtle, uh, the turtles being older, the last road. And they mentioned the concept in there. So like the second I heard that, like, before I even heard the title, my movie was when I heard the title, The Last Ronin. I think it's when I first saw that first ad for it. Mm. I was like, I, th- I think they're doing this thing that they mentioned in this yeah. book. And it is what they're doing. And I was, so I was really excited. <laughs> but so I, I think, called it forever ago. 
Oh, awesome. <laughs> I think uh, like way in the future, like at the end of Tales Volume 2, we actually see Raph lose his eye. I think Shadow cuts it out. Um, spoilers for a comic that's going to come out in like 30 years from where we're yeah. at right now. But <laughs> good luck, uh, you know, probably reading it as well. Yeah, uh, right. Volume uh, 4 is hard to get a hold of. Yeah, Volume 4 is hard to get a hold of. And then there's... Yeah, there's I, a found lot the of... first, I found the first 10, but I don't think I'm ever going to get past that. Yeah, yeah Tales Volume 2 has quite a few uh, issues that are still available that were reprinted that you can buy, but even then it's not the whole thing. It's just like the first so many of them. Mm. So that's it's kind of rough to get those, but especially with Ninja Turtle comics now with the last Ronin stuff suddenly increasing in popularity and more people are trying to get their hands on them and collect them. Uh, I don't ever see myself being able to actually get volume four. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I like, yeah. And I lucked out at my local shop uh, mm-hmm. just for those first 10 issues. And I was like, huh. And just swiped them up. Nice. Yeah. I went and I went and checked at mine. There's another one nearby that I might go to, but I, I doubt I'll be able to pick them up. I bought that Fugitoid figure that mm-hmm. they have the, that he has on there. And, uh, Planet Racers, the one, one, two, and three traits. Yeah, so. I, I had to Google it myself, and I, I found that Bobby Darren uh, recording. Yeah, uh, I, had, yeah. I had never heard it before. It sounds like I'm, just, it was I'm super familiar. With, I'm super familiar with it because I used to sing that song at karaoke. So, no. <laughs> so like I know that song very well. So it was like to see it in this context was like what? <laughs> yeah, I'll have to listen to it now. I'll give that a. It's, it's, uh, it's a great song. Maybe instead of li- like going on YouTube and finding it, Mike could just sing it for you right now. Oh, the shark, babe. <laughs> no, I want us to be able to keep this up, not get demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> so you only get one bar. One bar. There it was, folks. Mm-hmm. The other amazing, like the other, I guess that's an amazing thing. Uh, but the one big thing that you really do get out of this issue is Mikey, like really getting a personality. I mean, that was yes. the point of these micro series issues. But you could kind of see the other turtles' personalities before, but you never really got to see Mikey's until this one. And in my opinion, like this should just always be the base that everyone goes to whenever they're writing Michelangelo, you know, his character. He's just very much this the turtle that wants to be a part of the world around him. You know, he's making references to movies and TV, and he does that more than the other turtles do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just wants to be out amongst people. He's kind of the one that really is the most extroverted and wants to be a part of the world that he's living in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like one of my favorite things about the characters. And you'll get a bit of an inkling of that in the other versions, but I feel like, you know, IDW definitely was able to take that and, and do something with it. 2012, they do have that thing with the, the Chuck Norris parody. Oh yeah. That turns into dog pound. They do have mm-hmm. like that thing at the beginning but I feel like a lot of times he just gets reduced to just, you know, the dumb yeah. comic relief yeah. character. You know, Rise actually does it does it pretty well too. He wants like his passion is cooking in that mm-hmm. show. And so he's not so much a party animal, he's just kind of a naive artist kid. Hmm. Yeah. And so like kind of that playful Mikey in this, like, you know, they, they took a lot of this and put it in Rise too, which was kind of surprising yeah it's definitely like the base for the character and, and like idw does an amazing job of like i feel like taking extracting the personality from this issue mm-hmm. and, and moving it into the idw universe 
but I guess there's something about that that I really like about the characters, how he just really wants to be a part of this world that they are they are freaks in, you know, while the other turtles, they may like, you know, still read books and things like that, but and watch TV, but he's like the one that seems to really grasp onto it more than anyone else. You know, they also did that in uh in um Out of the Shadows, the twenty sixteen movie. They like, did do Mikey that. really had that whole arc too. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, a lot of people are always like, oh, like these movies and stuff aren't based on the Mirage book. And it's like, there's so much of the Mirage stuff throughout all of Turtles. Yeah, there, there is stuff that, I mean, this is the base of everything. You know, like right. you can you can find the DNA that's in these books in any of the iterations of Turtles. Yeah. So I went back to the, and we've mentioned this before, the Palladium role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm strangeness because it it has a bio for each turtle and it does mention that michelangelo is like their cook so Uh. it's interesting that so far in in the future they're bringing back his cooking because he was was a cook in 2012 too oh that's true yeah like he wasn't a good cook but yeah he was not a good cook but like yeah in rise they made it his hobby and like they they kind of took that same chuck norris thing from 2012 Mm -hmm. and then that's how we got the character meat sweats in uh 20 in rise because he was like a gordon ramsay asshole kind of chef yeah <laughs> um and he I, and mikey idolized him and then he turned into meat sweats ah okay yeah so i i really i really like the this angle of of michelangelo and i always think it's too bad when it just gets reduced to like party dude you know i, I get why they use party dude it fits into a song it's <laughs> it makes sense but i feel like if you like try to go to that and be like, oh, he's the party dude. Or if you go to the 1990 movie and you're like, oh, he's the one that makes the most jokes. He's the funny, funny one. Then you kind of end up losing uh, what makes Michelangelo an interesting character. Yeah. yeah. He's much more subdued here in the in the Marvel un- or the Mirage universe, excuse me. Yeah, he, he's, you know, I mean, he still like says funny things and it's still comedic, but he's not, that's not like it. I feel like a lot of times they kind of are like, oh, that's it. That's all he is. And so it's nice to to really see an actual personality. And that's probably my favorite thing about this issue. So I guess I'll just say that now before the before I love being a turtle. I'll bring it up again later. We also and, see um, there's a there's a there's a sign in the background of the um, of the bus at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sign for Bloom County. I noticed that. Yeah. Okay. This is a very popular uh, newspaper comic strip at the time. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's one of those like Spencer. If I, if I showed you a, a picture of Bloom County, you you would know what it is. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read an ish, like a, a strip of it or anything, but like you've seen those characters somewhere. Okay, yeah, I, I imagine if I did see it, I'd know what it was. Like, what do the characters look like? Are they like anthropomorphic or anything? Or are they? It's just people? um, it's it's like that uh, that really ugly like tall orange cat. Uh, his name's Bill, and then like the little penguin with the bow tie with like the really weird beak oh uh, yeah okay yeah opus mm-hmm. i used to read this comic opus, when I was, yeah uh when i was younger Did i say yeah. opus yeah opus um i used to read this comic when i was little my grandma got me was like really big in a newspaper comic strip so like this calvin and Hobbes, the far side uh-huh. um i was reading all those so yeah like i <laughs> i was like <laughs> they're they're bloom county fan because like bloom county was a huge 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 back then yeah, I, I, I actually know what you're talking about now because I remember we had a, like, it, it might have been, I think it was just a picture book, but it was a picture book of like a Bloom County story, the Bloom County characters. So I, I do know what you're talking about now. 
I just didn't know it was called Bloom County. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't either until I looked it up for this. <laughs> I just remember seeing the weird penguin character with the weird beak. So that's about it. I think also like we see at the very end, we don't know for sure if it's him, but Donatello's probably working on that robot when Michelangelo finally gets back to the apartment. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Donatello. And Leo's the one that's reading and, and Raph, the one that's training. Yeah. So we so we see more of like those other personalities kind of developing here too, not mm-hmm. just Mikey. Yeah, well, because even if you go back to Raphael number one, you know it's Mikey and Raph that are sparring. Leo's mm-hmm. reading Dune, and then Donatello is working on like a, a chip or something like that, if I remember right. Yeah. So they do kind of seems have... like that's all he does now. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, you know, if he's got some free time, he's going to be, you know, welding something together. You know, or... Donnie, Donnie does machines no matter what, I guess. Where do you no find microchips what? in the sewer, though? Especially back in the 80s. I don't know. But... Yeah, there's, probably... there's a lot of questions about this. Where, yeah. do they, where do they get their weapons-grade metal for their, we- for their weapons? Fair, fair. You know, I bet, well, if, okay, here we go. For their weapons, I bet you that Splinter, after mutating, probably went back to like Hamato Yoshi's apartment or something. He didn't have any next of kin or anything to like take his stuff. He probably just went back and took that. Okay, fair. But also, how long did it take him to mutate between I mean, just like Hamato Yoshi dying and Splinter? Who knows? Hey. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of I, questions here. I like to think that someone flushed a katana down the toilet, and I think that's, <laughs> exactly. that's the most logical yeah. answer. It, it was New York in the 80s. Yeah, so. exactly. Your mom's just like, you can't take care of this katana anymore. You're yeah. going to have to flush it down the toilet. <laughs> oh, God, how am I going to get this bow staff down the toilet? Yeah. Oh, man. Ugh, nunchucks, the landlord's going to kill me if I flush these. Hey, nunchucks are probably like illegal at the time. You know, the cops were coming. They had to flush their chucks, you know, down the toilet. That's, that, that's true. <laughs> Were nunchucks illegal at the time, or were they illegal I, I don't after think this? They were. I don't. I don't know because I know here in California you can't have them. Yeah, it, well, it's because, really? and it's the same reason why, like, the nunchucks got banned in the cartoon from the, in England. Yeah, and, and stuff was because it had to do with like gang violence at the time or something. Yeah, I ended up. I ended up learning about that. That it's because there was a lot of gang violence going on with nunchucks. Apparently. Yeah, there was there's a. Uh, people. That's half the reason why, like, they were they were called the hero turtles over there. Because mm-hmm. because they didn't want assassins on TV. Yeah. Now, were you allowed to have like the toy plastic nunchucks or no no yeah. two sticks combined with a chain whatsoever? Uh, no, you you can have the toy ones. Like they sold those out here, um, and they they still do for the role playing sets for the kids. Um, and you can find like you know foam nunchucks at swap meets even out here, um, but actual metal ones, I think those were illegal to own. What yeah. what makes a nunchuck a nunchuck exactly? You know, if we want to like, you know, dub them illegal. Like, if it's rope instead of mm-hmm. a chain, is it okay at that point? Ex- <laughs> or, exactly. Like, yeah. I I personally have not looked into it that much. Um, <laughs> so that'll be something I have to do for the next episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've never looked to own a pair of chucks myself, but I'm just curious I, now. Like, what makes them qualify officially as a nunchuck? Yeah. I feel like I would have a hard time being like, no officer, I swear, one of the segments came off my three-segmented staff. <laughs> Those are legal. Yeah, that's ironically okay, in California. <laughs> but not but not nunchucks. Right. Weird stuff. Speaking of weird stuff, 
We ready to talk about anchovies? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I can't let you know. All right. I only had like one anchovy really for this issue. And it's that sometimes they went a little too hard on the snow. And it like just brought back PTSD of playing Donkey Kong Country on the Super <laughs> Nintendo that I had for too long. I don't know if you guys remember that snow level where it becomes oh, like yeah. impossible to see because the yeah. storm is increasing mm-hmm. and it's super stressful. See, that's why that's why I'm glad I read the color classics version because I would not have been able to read this in black and white. Yeah, it's yeah. it's tougher. It's definitely one that's probably better in color. This is definitely like like I said last time, like there's room to read both the black and white and the color. And mm-hmm. when people ask, I'm like, you should read the color because of this issue. Like if you look at I think it's page five where he's standing in the street about to go into the toy store. Like you can't tell what the hell is going on in that picture. Oh, the whole like the whole car chase yeah. is nothing but snow. Like oh, yeah. on top of the black ink. And it's like you can't tell what's snow and what's the white image underneath it. It's it's pretty tough to to tell. And so I actually I actually usually recommend black and white. Um, but I've kind of been converted maybe a little bit to uh, you know, some issues being in color. And the reason why I usually go black and white is just because, in my opinion, some of the stuff I've seen IDW color, I've been less than impressed with. Because uh, the color over the tones, so it, yeah. it looks kind of muddy. Yeah, yeah and, and especially in like volume two. Uh, well, it's actually no, it's in volume one. There's one issue that didn't make the ultimate collection. It's in it's in the classic because it's not canon, whatever. And this character, they've colored her as a white person but she is definitely supposed to be a black person. Uh, like her, her brother is black. I think her name's like mm-hmm. Lucindra or something like Cinder, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like her brother is definitely black. And I don't know if like they just started coloring without going through the whole issue. And then they were just like, oh, well, <laughs> there's definitely no believing her brother is not black. He looks black. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like what they what that was all about but it's one of those things where i was like this character i'm pretty sure is supposed to be a black character and they have colored her white for this whole issue and it just kind of drove me nuts a little bit (laughs) uh speaking of coloring a character a different color in uh in the color classics uh april is pretty definitively black oh really yeah um which is only going to add more fuel to the fire for the fandom yeah um because I think you, Spencer, you you were even talking about this on one of the Facebook groups uh, last week. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of things to me, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I actually, to be honest, but I do prefer her being black. I think that's, I think that's neat. You know, mm. more representation is always great. Um, and it's just, I don't know, like it just, I think it says more about New York. You know, New York's a very multicultural, multinationality uh, city. Yeah. You know. But, I mean, like, it's one of those things where, like, if you really want to, like, really get into it, you know, if you feel like it makes that big of a difference in in the story of the Mirage comics, which it doesn't. I mean, yeah. Like, ultimately, like, it's not a defining characteristic of April, Mm -hmm. um, which is why I don't mind it. Yeah. It's like, because you always hear the argument of like, oh, well, what if they make Black Panther white? And it's like, well, you can't because being black is part of the story. Right. Like, 
you can't have a white Black Panther. I mean, I feel like if you really wanted to, like, devil's advocate argue it enough, you could. Uh, you know, yeah, I but mean, that would be a bad faith argument for Black Panther specifically. Yeah. Uh, but you could for, you know, Captain America, like being being a white kid from Brooklyn's not inherently part of his story, just that he's a kid from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going way off topic because I was yeah, just, wanted to, bring, topic, I just but... wanted to bring up that she <laughs> she's black in the colored classics. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And, I have the color classics, like the individual issues. I'll have to go back and check that out. I, I didn't realize it the first time around. Yeah, I'm looking at that's that's what I read. Hmm, I don't know if it's picking up. Um, yeah, it's just interesting because usually, like when people want, like you know, or whenever the argument breaks out about it, they'll take the like just one issue like a cover of it that wasn't even the first printing of the cover it's like issue three i think and they're just you know she's got the curly hair and stuff and so they're just like and, and she you know that doesn't she has kind of a pretty ambiguous skin tone mm-hmm. and so just to clarify i guess for our listeners where since we brought it up since we opened the can of worms it's already wide open um where the idea that she's black comes from originally is that first off, I believe Kevin Eastman had someone he was dating at the time uh, who was of mixed race. And he said that, well, not he, not he said, but he named her after her, something to that extent. Uh, I really should like red, red yeah, double check that and all that. But um, the biggest thing there though, is that she also has like the curly hair and people are like, oh, that's inherently a thing that black people have. But in the 80s, people got intense perms. Uh, you know, white people did. And she comes back in with a perm in that issue. She's like, hey, check out my new do. Uh, and so before that, she actually has, I don't know, different hair that's, you know, straight and things. Uh, and so that's kind of where the argument comes that she's black or of mixed race or, or whatever it may be. Peter Laird has stated that he's always seen her as black. I mean, not black, he's always seen her as white. I mean, he says that, you know, that's his perspective. You'd have to ask the other creator what he thought. So it doesn't seem like they were even really worried about race when they really created her. They just created her. Though, to be fair, Peter Laird also said that she was a drawing brought to life. Yes, yeah. that happened by a magic before. crystal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Honestly, in, a lot of people bag on that, but I thought it kind of made actually for an interesting story. If you oh, I'm one of those people it. that bag on it. <laughs> but, uh, but that's that's a story for another time. Uh, in Kevin Eastman's autobiography thing, he says, originally created as an Asian character in Pete's Notes, but named oh. after an African-American woman I once knew. Oh, that's he once knew. Okay. So. But I, I think Mike's right. Like in, in the context of this book, uh, her race is not necessarily important to her character. No, not at all. It doesn't make a difference. Especially because she's kind of a really a flat character for most of this. She's just kind of just a dead mother that kind of hangs around at home the whole time. She's not, mm-hmm. not that great yeah, no. a character in these stories. But in nine times out of ten, maybe even more than that, the race of a character doesn't really change the story one way or the other exactly that's, that's what i was saying like that's what i was saying like unless it's inherently part of their backstory like black panther it does not matter um should we get back to this issue absolutely yes 100 <laughs> hopefully we I, cleared up that can of worms for everyone yeah i gotta say um michelangelo number one i really don't care for this issue um, really yeah i know which is weird because i i love a good holiday special i'm all mm-hmm. about you know 
how the Grinch stole Christmas and mm. every every Simpsons Treehouse of Horror issue, but the Star Wars holiday special. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, uh, I love a good life day. Um, but yeah, you said I, that ironically, but I'm I'm serious. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think like the art in this is awful. Like we said, like mm. there's snow everywhere. You can't tell what's going on. Um, as far as I can tell, Mike's weird personality quirk is that he narrates everything to himself. And part yeah. of that is like... Not gonna lie, I thought you meant me for a second. Oh, sorry. It might be... <laughs> no. It's all right. But, and part of that is like, he has to narrate it because you can't tell what the hell is going on in the picture, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and and he he's repetitive too. I, I wrote this down. He says this four times. He says, first, I'll hide you, kitty. And a couple pages later, he says... First, the door latch needs to open. And a couple pages later, he's like, first, grab the bumper. And a couple pages later, first, I better get these, I better get clear of these people. Like, you clearly don't know what first means, man. <laughs> it's an ever-evolving list for him. I guess. <laughs> he just keeps he just keeps renumbering everything. Yeah, but I think like of of the four micro series issues, this is easily my least favorite. Um, it introduces Clunk. He's he's cool, and in like twenty years, we're gonna get a really good story with him. But other than that, I I usually just kind of skip this one. It it's actually it's so uneventful and unimportant that it doesn't show up in uh, Raphael's Ghost of the Christmas Past issue. Like they don't even talk about it. So, hmm. yeah. yeah, I will say that I actually think that it's one of the few cases where a cartoon did it better than the comic. The two thousand three series, in my opinion. The episode with this story is actually better than the comic book. Yes, it was more enjoyable for me. Yeah, well, they they add like a B plot where they're like hosting a Christmas dinner. Yeah, which I, I think makes it a little more interesting. But yeah, that and the action is a little bit more over the top. You've got like Michelangelo like water skiing almost behind the truck and, yeah. and things like that. We'll definitely cover it when we get to that episode. Yeah. We've also we've still got a, a few weird typos. Uh, yeah. Does no O will yep. notice me, not no one. Yeah. He also calls sledding sliding. Did you notice? He says, oh, look, sliding. I'm like, no, that's sledding, man. Come on. Maybe it's an East Coast thing. I don't know. Hey, he, he lives in, he's from the sewer. He doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it, anchovies, that's what I got. I'm just not a fan of this issue. Uh, for me, yeah, like it's, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, I would not have been able to read this in black and white and 100% this needed a B plot um, because it is just so, there's so much action in like such a short amount of time that it feels almost repetitive that we're just like, and he has to go to the next truck and he has to stop the next truck. And it's like, it really needed something else to kind of, so we could take a breather and space it all out. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so like, like you said, yeah, like the 2003 show does it better because there is the B plot of the Christmas dinner. I could agree with that. But other than that, I don't hate it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I was saying, I, I love a good Christmas story too. And so like, this is, you know, technically our first turtles Christmas story. So I, I don't know. I don't hate it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the weaker uh micro series yeah it's probably been the weakest issue up to this point yeah yeah i'm not like rallying against this i just don't think it's there's not enough there it's it's repetitive like you said it's muddy to look at um yeah i'm not not a big fan of it yeah all right well then 
if we're done talking about what we weren't a fan of, let's talk about the stuff we're fans of. I love being a turtle. Oh, I love being a turtle. All right, so one of my favorite things is is Clunk, just period. I just love yep. Michelangelo's cat. I love him having a pet. It's the first time the turtles have a pet, and it's my favorite thing. You'll, you'll see him pop up every once in a while in the sewer and later issues or in other places. Uh, Michelangelo's always taking care of him. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it last week that I had uh, dinosaurs in World of Warcraft named Zanraman and Mozar. Um, I also have a robot cat in World of Warcraft named Clunk. Nice. So, yep. Just, just crazy about turtles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like a super fun Christmas story because the only other Christmas story, I think, in these original Mirage comics that takes place like on Christmas or at least Christmas Eve is uh, Leonardo. But Leonardo number one, it's kind of funny that two of their micro series issues take place on Christmas. But Leonardo number one is like a Christmas story in the same way Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a position though, because we get kind of the, the happy ending here. And then a year later, we're going to get a terrible ending. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> if we're done talking about things we love, we'll get some news. April O'Neil, Channel 9 News. Uh, Channel 6 News. This week's news is kind of a bummer for me, but it's also good news as well. It's kind of a double-edged sword. It's the same as it was last month. The first printing of The Last Ronin, not the first printing, but The Last Ronin number one is getting a second printing. No, not second printing, a third printing. printing, I mean, a third Mm -hmm. printing. The problem is, is that it is now taking the printing date of issue number two, January 27th. And so now issue two has been moved to, to February. February. Yeah. Tentative February. It doesn't even have a hard date yet as of the 17th of December. Oh, really? Yeah. I Guys, Okay. Well, Amazon's it, saying February 17th. I don't trust Amazon personally for Fair comics. Enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Remember what I said earlier. If it's not, not late, it's not Mirage. Well, technically society does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Publishing yeah. a Mirage book. So there we go. We brought it all there. The way we around. go. All right. That's the spirit. It's, yeah, in, it's this, in true spirit of this book's already like six months late from when it was supposed to be. <laughs> and now it's getting pushed back even farther. Yeah. So like, it's great news that the comic is selling so well and that so much attention is being brought to Ninja Turtles that it actually requires a third printing. You know, it's, it's awesome too because the last issue that I can think of that really got this much attention was issue 45 of idw where like that went into multiple printings because everyone was buying the that was the death of donnie issue ah spoilers just kidding (laughs) spoilers for how old is that issue now i don't know it's come out like yeah it's been a while um but that's the last time i can think of that turtle that turtles went into multiple printings like this in these kind of numbers um but yeah, like so we know I, I can't remember how many were uh, printings were in the first issue, but there were fifty thousand, I think they, they did for the second printing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifty thousand for the second. Thirty thousand? Okay. No, it's fifty. You're right. It's 50, oh, it was fifty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's insane. Like that's more than the normal book, you know, the, the normal monthly book sells a month. Yeah, well, it's the highest number of reprints the IDW's ever done before. Right. Is fifty thousand. So the fact that even that wasn't enough, like record setting, 
for an IDW reprint, that wasn't enough. They're now coming out with a third printing. And I saw the cover. Uh, it is a Kevin Eastman cover, finally. Yeah. As, as the main cover for uh, third print. So yeah, the- head on down to your local comic book store and set up a pull list so you can get this. Yeah, because this is the third printing. Ho- I mean, because if we go into fourth printing and this gets pushed back to March, yeah. <laughs> please go in and pre-order it now, so that we can stop having to get so many printings. If you want to read this book, go to your comic book shop, get a pull list, pre-order it. Yeah, set up a pull at your local comic book store, guys. Because we, if if it wasn't for comic book shops, we wouldn't even have turtles, really. Right. Yeah. Uh, in other news, uh, if you ordered uh, Wave 2 of Super 7 Ultimates, uh, TMNT Ultimates, that is currently shipping now if you ordered directly through Super 7. If you ordered through your local comic book store like me or through Big Bad Toy Store, also like me, I double ordered them, uh, those should be shipping hopefully within the next month or so. And that was the wave of Leo, Bebop, uh, Crazy Eyebrow Shredder, and Mutagen Man. And that's also, it. also, sorry, more toy news. Uh so NECA uh, early, uh, a couple of months ago had said that the Krang figure uh, that they were making and the Baxter Stockman Fly and Splinter 2-pack were originally pushed back to 2021. Uh, those are showing up in Targets now, mostly in California, but they are starting to show up in other states now uh, further east. But uh, yeah, uh, surprise, NECA hasn't confirmed that this was officially released early. But uh, if you see those at your target, uh, definitely pick them up because other people are and they are going for numbers on eBay right now. That Krang one looks sweet too. I mean, I know it's a big, derpy uh, baby body robot, but it looks really cool. (laughs) It it, it looks really cool. I'm incredibly nervous about those tiny, tiny feet. I know they're show accurate, but I don't trust that neck of plastic. Now, have you gotten your Toka and Razor? uh no they are still shipping uh so <laughs> that's another thing NECA has kind of i don't want to say they boneheaded it but they have not been giving everybody tracking numbers for all the tokas and razars that they ordered um so they're all just kind of randomly showing up at people's doorsteps so mine have not shown up yet okay hopefully soon i did get my super shredder that i pre-ordered months ago but uh not token razar yet all right. There's one actually one thing that I wanted to plug before we uh, head out is this website where he's releasing uh, hats and shirts and things with prints on it, but it's solely dedicated to villains. Uh, he has a shredder one that I got from him. That's where he kind of first started was with the shredder. That's uh, called one in a villain.com. I got a hat from him. It's actually, it's a pretty nice hat They're They're kind of lighter, uh, lighter hats. He's got dad hats and things. Uh, I kind of backed myself into a corner because he gauged interest on Reddit. And then I was just like, make it a dad hat and I'm sold. And then he did. And so I felt like I had to buy one. So I did. And it's actually not a bad hat. And he's got other 80s villains and stuff on there. And he's kind of bringing up the he's kind of building up the roster on there. So go ahead and go check that out because it's actually pretty good stuff. And he's trying to get his own business started. And that's cool. And you said a follically challenged person. I hope he sends me a hat for plugging them on this show <laughs> yeah i was gonna I'm say doing it in those a, samples too right yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing it at a goodwill because uh, okay know, yeah I, yeah he i got i bought it you know i didn't uh, <laughs> it's not okay 
yeah yeah no it's it's a it's an audio medium no one would know if we were wearing those hats or not yeah <laughs> it's true, you're not very wrong. true i've actually thought about posting it up on our socials just because i don't know covid's a hard time and he's Do trying it. to start up a business and so yeah why not i you know Which, and it's actually the socials decent hat <laughs> speaking of the socials to close up make sure you follow us and like us on facebook instagram and twitter all the above we try to keep turtle news up there as well as when we release episodes we let you know uh you can find us at ninja turtle power hour or uh at ninja turtle ph because i don't know there's some places that don't like you having too long of a handle twitter uh and so also make sure you review us on apple podcasts subscribe to us on spotify whatever you got to do let us know you like the podcast email us for crying out loud i never check it but well i could if people actually emailed me at ninja turtle power hour at gmail.com let us know what you like about the show let us know if you have any ideas for ways we can make it better love to hear it yeah if you like us leave a five-star review if you don't like us, yes also leave a review. review. (laughs) also leave a five-star review because then we'll read it um we don't read the one-star ones so yeah but guys, have a happy holiday wherever you are. Yeah, uh, happy holidays. Yeah, it was it was fun to visit this Christmas issue of Ninja Turtles. Uh, yeah, I loved it, <laughs> and I love of all of you. <laughs> yeah, Thank really you. enjoying doing this. Thanks for thanks for inviting us on, Spence. Yeah, no problem. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Uh, we appreciate everyone that uh, tunes in every week. Until next time. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and cowabunga. Cowabunga. Mac the knife?